0: Hello and welcome to The Writer's Mindset with me Ellie Betts and occasionally my co-host Christina Adams when she's not being a hermit. We're currently on summer break but we've put together some compilation episodes sharing some of our favourite clips from the last year of the podcast. This week we're talking plotting. Thanks to our patrons for all of your support. Our patrons can listen to episodes early, suggest questions for our guests, and get access to our patron-exclusive bonus series, Healthy Habits, where we share the top tips to help you become your happiest, most productive, most creative selves. The series has helped our patrons to get more movement into their lives, solve plot problems, and find simple ways to add healthier foods into their diet. And these small changes can make a big difference to your writing. Want to find out what all the fuss is about? Head over to patreon.com forward slash writers mindset.
1: So I'm I would say when I first my wrote my first book, I was sort of a between a plotter and a pantser. And I wrote that first book by writing by having one chapter very clearly in mind, a chapter that was maybe like a third of the way through the book. And I wrote that wrote it, polished it, wrote it, polished it. And then I had to write the whole book leading up to that scene and the whole story leading away from it, which was very, a very, very inefficient way of writing a book. It took me two and a half years to write that book. And once I left my day job, I knew that two and a half years between books was not really going to be sustainable. And so I've become more and more of a plotter and really trying to pin down a story um, in a spreadsheet uh before I dive too deep on the details. I mean, I, and I don't do that as strictly as I'm making it sound, but the more I can move to that end of the spectrum, then the more quickly I can write high quality books. But just crime fiction writer after crime fiction writer came on the podcast and they were like, I'm always interested to see where the story will take me. And I'm like, seriously, you're writing like a mystery and you don't know how it ends. And so I I think I learned from that, not that I have to be more of a pantser, but that there are really different approaches that people can take that will end with a high quality, successful, and potentially popular book. And that you you should listen to those different approaches and think about them, but you shouldn't necessarily run after them if they seem, again, incompatible with your style. It's aligning your how you're approaching it with what your strengths are and what your goals are.
2: Yeah, it can be really hard. Sometimes I think and one of the most intimidating things I found was trying to come up with a plotting system that worked because I didn't have anything for my first book and I got about halfway through it and started to get a bit lost and I'm like well this is going to get worse when there are five books in this series and then there's a spin-off series and another spin-off series and another spin-off I'm like I kind of need to write all this down so I created a spreadsheet of like everything from birthdays to when I kill off characters to when people meet and stuff, just so that I got that consistency. And I'm how many books into the series am I now? I'm about ten books into the universe, and I'm still referring back to that spreadsheet.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And I found the way it plays out for me is my books are are very much dependent on who knows what when. And so, if I don't think through, it, you know, I've had this the situation where I've almost go, gone down a path writing as if a character knows something that if I step back and look at it I realize they either don't know or they shouldn't know and that it's better that they don't know or shouldn't know and that's so much easier to do if you're playing with like a, a 10,000 word outline'll I'll say because you know my my outline isn't just bullet points it's quite beefy and that really paid off for me in the Falcon and the owl which is uh, the fourth book because I mean the, my third Anne Kinnear book, because I wrote up this beefy outline. I sent it to my editor and I said, can you just take a look at this before I start writing? And he got back to me and he said, well, I think you really have to make the bad guy badder because at the end, I'm, I'm not really buying it. And I thought about that for a while. And I talked to him and I said, I ended up saying, I don't, I don't think that person's badder. I think I picked the wrong bad guy. You know, I think I have to rework it to make somebody else be the bad guy. And that was a lot easier to do with 10,000 words on the page than it would have been with 80,000 words on the page.
3: So, fortunately, I do have three active series, and my way of working on it is a little bit different, but it's what works with me. So, let's say I, I start, I finish writing a book in series A, and then I write an outline immediately afterward for the next book in that series because my head is still in that story world and it's still very natural and I still remember what just happened in that book and that takes me about a week to 10 days I do about a 35 page outline and then I hop on it that sounds insane but I, I've discovered that works really well for but me and it's, then I just it's really flattered. interesting I was yeah.
2: talking to one of my friends the other day he's working on a second book and she's got an outline it's not 35 pages long but she's started to document exactly what happens in each chapter I'm like my plans are like if I didn't outline I think my brain would explode I just but everyone has to write in a different way and some people you know find the outlines really help them I find my bullet points really help them you know, everyone's different.
3: I did a bullet point type of um, outline for a long time. And I think that would still work for me. um, Definitely if I had to go back to it for any reason. I was a panster when I started out with traditional publishing. And that worked worked fine for me too, until I ran into a plot hole about two weeks before deadline. And Mm. then I was in a panic because I was already under, I'd already been paid for the book and the book was going to be late and I could not figure out a way around the plot hole. I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, and I I was talking to different people. And I finally got some feedback that was going to help me get out of the plot hole. Oh, but I was like, I'm never, never doing that again. So I went from not outlining at all to doing sort of a bullet point method. And now I've got a template that I came up with that I use. And with my type of mysteries is different. So I've got, you know, introduction of suspects and kind of what the characters look like. And then I've got the first murder and then I've got interviews with the suspects and I've got a second murder, interviews with the suspects. I've got transition points in between there. And then I've got like a moment of danger for the sleuth. And then I've got the wrap up. And so I, after I fill all of that out, and I've just gotten more verbose because I was like, okay, well, the more I can make this run, the quicker I can make this go. So I do a book in about, I'm going to say two and a half to three months now from beginning to end, just done, um, which is pretty speedy with this outline, but the outline itself does take a long time. So um, that's part of it. And then I, after I finish with the outline, that's, I'm done with that series until three months later. And then I start on um, a book from series B, and which I had outlined three to four months earlier than that. And that's been a good, and I, I get the, the freshness. Um, I get to be in a different story world, but it's not hard because it's already an established series. Uh, and then I've got another series that I write at the same time that I write both of the other series. So I know that sounds a little crazy, but um, it's written in first person instead of third. So it's easy enough for me not to get confused. Sounds a yeah. little crazy, but. <laughs> no,
2: no, I think it's really good. Do you find like when you go back through your outline a few months later that you pick up on stuff that you could do differently or better or that doesn't make sense?
3: Definitely. And I frequently will end up changing the um, the murderer um, <laughs> at some point. I'll be like, I think I like this person better. And it, it's pretty easy to do that because then it's just all the red herrings turn out to be clues and all the clues turn out to be red herrings. So if you've got everybody set up that they could have done it, then it's a pretty easy change to make.
2: Yeah, I remember one mystery author, I can't remember who it was, but they said that they write the book and then decide on the murderer. And then when they go back and edit it, they change who the murderer is so that it's a massive red herring all the way through the book. And then they go back in and kind of sow the seeds throughout so they haven't completely blindsided the reader. Like, it's I don't a good know way of doing that. it
3: yeah Yeah, definitely I mean you can't it it definitely makes a surprise because then the the writer is surprised too (laughs) that wasn't what the writer had actually planned to do um so if the author can be surprised then you know the reader's going to be surprised um I've had readers go I knew it was going to be that person I'm like well that's amazing because I didn't know it was going to be that person (laughs) until the last page
2: (laughs) yeah the first time I tried to write a mystery I planned it out in bullet points and this is a well-known story that I tell to readers of The Writer's Cookbook and podcast listeners, so some people might be aware of the Poppy Winslow saga. And I went to my post-it notes on the eve of NaNoWriMo and it said Poppy finds out who the murderer is. I hadn't written down who the murderer was. <laughs> I didn't know what their motives were. I didn't know anything. And so as I was writing it, I think the murderer changed about three times and it ended up being the main character as an unreliable narrator who'd killed this character in some versions out of self-defense and sometimes out of cold blood and I was like this is just such a mess it's unbelievable (laughs) (laughs) so that story has been abandoned completely abandoned never should be seen I can
3: understand that but now I mean you can go back in and say okay Poppy does know and it's going to be this person and then you could yeah because it's easy enough it's easy enough to do I think
2: I would definitely write the entire thing from scratch again on the off chance I did write that book but I'm kind of more taking the learnings that I've got and applying it now to my fantasy because there are elements of mystery to that but I definitely think I have learned a lot from that mess of a book. Do you plan or outline before you sit down to write in Fictionary? Lots of
3: people do. I'm just not. I outline after. I do a post-draft outline because I love the experience of writing. At some point you have to outline, I think. Like you, if you want to design your story, you got to outline it. And scene naming can do that. When you are. you've got your draft written, if you haven't outlined, like me, then when you name your scenes, there's your after draft outline and you can really think about does it make sense and does it work in the story context? So at some point, I think there must be an
0: outline.
2: That's really interesting because you're actually the first person I've interviewed that doesn't have an outline before they start writing. I find it really dull Like if I have the outline, I know the story and I don't want to write it. One of the things you mentioned in your book is something called an if then statement. So can you explain Mm -hmm. what they are and why they're helpful?
4: Yes. um, I forget the name. There's like an official name for it. Uh, But for me, it is the cause and effect of a story. And when this is a really helpful outline tool uh, that when I'm developing a story and a plot that I use, because you can write down and you can say, well, If a character does this or thinks this or feels this way, then this is the result. And it helps you double check to make sure that whatever you have that's causing something, there is a logical effect and that they're actually linked. Because you might have something that was like, well, you know, if Cinderella wants to meet the prince, then she has to go to the ball. Well, that's a premise, There's nothing in that statement that's going to actually help you plot or write a book, you know? So it's like, if she wants to meet the prince, you know, or so if she wants to go to the ball, you almost like have to take some steps back. If she wants to the ball, the ball to the ball, then she's going to need a dress. Okay. Well, that gives you at least a plot place. How is she going to get the dress? Okay. If she needs a dress, then she needs to figure out how to get it. You know? So how does she get the dress? You know? Okay. Well, if she, you know, cries really hard around a bunch of mice, then a good fairy will show up, you know, so that kind of stuff, you know, but those are how the if-then statements work. So if you notice that your if statement doesn't give you any path or clue of how specifically to get to your then statement, then you know that you're missing something, you're missing that obstacle, you're missing your conflict, you're missing your, your goal, your plot, whatever, you're missing something that, you know, your effect is not actually being triggered by your cause and and that helps a lot with plotting and that way you can like a lot of times people have problems with plotting because they're doing too general and they're looking too much at the big picture and if you pull down and look specifically at what has needs to be done especially externally because a lot of times you get that well they want to be happy they want to find love you know they want to they want to live happily ever after it's like yeah that that's great but that's internal that's that's not external So, So you think that what specifically has to be done what's the specific problem and then with your conflict What specifically is in the way, what is keeping them from getting that, from resolving that problem from getting that goal. And that's just a good uh, format to get into because it'll help you avoid a lot of problems if you outline, not everybody outlines. Um, This could be a good revision tool. If you're more of a pantser and you just like to wing it, then when you're going back doing uh, your revision, you can go through and outline your chapters and then do this if-then statement and make sure that your book is flowing the way you want it to flow. And if you run into problems, then at least you know where your weak spots are and you know exactly what to do, you know, where to fix them.
2: Out of curiosity, do you outline your books?
4: extensively. (laughs) Yeah, no, I do a lot of outlining. I do a full editorial map. I do a scene by scene, usually like a paragraph or so per scene, Um, sometimes more if there's a lot going on. I like to joke that I always know where I'm going, but I don't always know how I'm going to get there. Sometimes I know the direction and I, I just kind of figure out some of the stuff as I write the scene because things change a little bit. Like I know here's my problem and here's where I want it to end up. We'll see what the characters do. So I kind of plot outline my plot but pants my characters a little bit uh i'm a little strange that way i like to um i figure out who they are during the first draft so i like to throw them into horrific danger and throw them into the into the muck and then see how they get out of it and sometimes they surprise me like what i expect them to do it just turns out not doing it and then as i you know toss them into the fire and go here solve that problem and then slowly i figured out who they are and then their personalities develop and then i can go back and hopefully that happens early like within the first act and then the rest of the book is okay uh, and then i don't have to do quite as much revision but sometimes it's you know not until the final act that i finally realize ah that's who you are and then i have to revise like the whole book for that or at least change you know their personality and how they react to things
5: most people are familiar with the hero's journey because of joseph campbell and also there's you know kind of memes and images of it out there and generally speaking we sort of have the hero's journey if not taught to us at least eventually you kind of pick it up or encounter it just um you know if you're a sci-fi writer within the convention circuit or something like that um and so i talk about the hero's journey first because most of the time it's the one people have Uh, access to and the language to talk about. Essentially, it's basically this idea that um, a hero has a quest, um, has these sort of patterns of withdrawal and return where he goes into a liminal space and I'm using pronouns uh, casually, so I'll get to that in a second, (laughs) but um, so he crosses a threshold, he retrieves a boon, he takes it back. He's presented with an award etc etc um, you can just google and take a look of it at any image of the hero's journey out there and it'll give you the sort of circular layout of this journey um, you'll be very familiar with the hero's journey because you will have encountered it in like most sort of suspense thrillers like all the 007 movies for example will be hero's journeys that kind of thing so there's these sort of quests for autonomy in a way the hero's journey the hero always ends up kind of going at it alone it's usually him against the universe he has to prove himself, either to himself or to others, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it has all of these um, also sort of messages and narrative tropes and archetypes that are associated with it. And then there's the heroine's journey. So the first and most important thing to know is that these narratives are referred to using gendered language, but they aren't gendered. So a female or non-binary person can be a hero, And the example that I often use is the recent Wonder Woman movie. She is a very classic hero. If you've seen that movie, she undertakes all of the steps and beats of a heroic narrative. Um, And similarly, heroines can be male identified or non-binary individuals as well. So, Um, the actual biological sex of the main character does not make a difference in which kind of narrative we're on when we're talking about these. So I just want to make that kind of clear. Um, It's just that the language we have to refer to these two narratives was kind of dictated by Campbell back in the 60s and 70s. And so that's just how it's fallen out at this juncture. So a heroine's journey is. It's not necessarily the opposite, um, but what the heroine wants and the goals that she sets for herself are just completely different from the hero. And there's no like a priori value as to one journey being better or worse than the other one. It's just as readers and as writers, we often gravitate to one instead of the other, especially in the Western world. So uh, a heroine's journey is generally speaking, she has something that is taken from her and it's usually a family network or emotional tie or bond of some kind. So um, the example that I use often is, Persephone being taken from Demeter, so then Demeter is started on a heroine's journey because she is questing for her daughter, and that's that's kind of what the heroine is usually doing. The heroine is usually questing for some kind of reunion or unity or cohesion of some kind. She's looking to put something back together again that was broken, or though she's looking to find something that was taken. Um, and her journey is is similar in that she has a descent. She has like she crosses a threshold she disguises herself usually, and then she has all of these patterns, much like the hero does. Um, But her goal and strength is almost always in accessing information and communicating with people. So a heroine on her journey is always seeking to talk to people, to get in contact with people, to put a group together, to put a group quest together. Um, I like to say that heroines make very good generals. They're usually really good at identifying the strengths and weaknesses in others and activating them. Heroines are very good at asking for help. And that's not a weakness. It's strength because of this personality quality where they're really good at, at knowing what's needed to accomplish things together. And the end of the heroine's journey is almost always a compromise of some kind that is for the good, uh, for the greater good, for the good of mankind. In the case of like the ancient Greek myths, uh, Demeter's compromise results in the seasons, which allow for the harvest, etc. And so that's kind of sort of the core of these these two narratives.
0: When you're
2: planning your own books, do you like plan it really rigidly against the heroine's journey or do you treat it kind of loosely?
5: I treat it very loosely and that, and you're absolutely right. Uh, Some of the people I've encountered, there are very kind of rule bound characters, uh, personalities uh, in, I guess on the page, but also in real life. And I do say maybe not enough um, that it is just a kind of loose chassis, the heroine's journey and the hero's journey. You don't have to go through and hit every beat. In fact, if you did, it would probably come up, come off as like very old fashioned, whether it were the hero's or the heroine's journey, um, although, you know, like I said, Wonder Woman hit every point of the hero's journey and it felt fresh and exciting to everybody, but yeah, I, I will, it isn't, it isn't an outline. It is, it is just a sort of loose set of guides and you can activate them out of order too, which many people do. Um, and that's always how I've done it. I, I've never set out to just be like, well, I got the heroine's ready. I got to hit everything. Even early on when all I had was having once learned about it in c- class, I was, I was just Writing what I was writing because that's what I wanted to see out in the world, um, which is sort of comforting. Found family is kind of my major, I would say, theme in all of my work, Um, and not just because that's what I feel really lucky to have found in my life, but also kind of what I want more, what I wanted to read more of, and so that's what I was writing. And found family is pretty much, as long as it ends happily, is pretty much always a heroine's journey, and so I was sort of naturally activating it without really meaning to yeah and then finally, I was like writing it down and I was like oh right yeah I I do that oh right yeah I do that
2: (laughs) yeah I've certainly found when I read or watch stuff that adheres to formula way too rigidly I can predict it way too much and the only thing that keeps me going like reading or watching it is if I like the characters Mm, absolutely
6: yeah so I'm I'm an outliner myself um You can see behind me my whiteboards, that's all me brainstorming and then taking that information and putting it into basically a a template with the three-act structure and all of that. I find outlining really useful in that when I then sit down to write, I'm not sat there trying to come up with the story and, and feeling a bit like stumped as to what to write. So I usually write with the manuscript on one screen and my outline on the other and that has helped me immensely over the years. So, and that's something that I've developed as part of my process from like five years ago. So it's definitely changed over time, but not everybody is an outliner. Like I know there are plenty of people who um, the thought of outlining, it sort of kills their creativity and they get a lot of joy and inspiration from the discovery through the act of writing. So yeah, it it totally, totally depends. And I think, you know, every author needs to sort of, experiment, do trial and error to see what works for them. Um, When I was writing how to write a successful series um, and I had my beta reader look through it, She actually suggested having a chapter on outlining, which was my experience, but then interviewing other authors who are discovery writers. So in the book, there are two side-by-side chapters for each type of writer um, because I am very aware that not everybody has the same process as me. And I would never say to someone, you have to outline. Um, But I would say that the authors that I did interview for discovery writing they had their own processes and systems to combat anything that me as an outliner sees as a potential issue so it was really interesting talking to them to find out what their process is and how they approach a series because again it is this huge task and my little mind couldn't wrap around how you would do it without planning Um, But these incredible authors do and they have their own processes in place to get things done and it it was really interesting talking to them. Um, That was a very rambling uh, answer to that question.
0: No, it was a great answer. Uh, Out of interest, do you have an example of one of those things where you said something that an outliner would see as a problem but the discovery writers had a solution for?
6: Yeah, so I suppose one of the things would be um, weaving through breadcrumbs and clues in earlier books for something that's going to happen in a later book. And for me as an outliner, if if I don't know what's going to happen in that later book, how do I then put a clue in the first book to then have that really organic build up to the main event that happens later on? And um, what I found was that the discovery writers, while they don't outline, one of them said that he sort of not outlined as he wrote but as he wrote he had a wall of like post-it notes or something similar and he made a note of what happened in each chapter as he wrote it so then when he came to the later book he could look back at this you know map I suppose of what he'd written and pick and choose elements to then bring into that later book so it still had that you know thread throughout the the books that came after. And I thought that was a really interesting, really clever way of still having that foreshadowing throughout without having to know what happens six books in.
0: What was your process like before you changed teams from a pantser to a plotter?
7: Uh, It was messy. (laughs) There was a lot of trial and error, uh, a lot of scenes that did not need to be there. So in my first novel... Uh, had a whole subplot in it that was like 30,000 words long and it just didn't need to be in the book at all. So I eventually cut it out. But dang, like on a first novel, writing 30,000 words takes a whole lot of time. So I basically wasted months of work on that stupid subplot that didn't need to be in the book. Um, and I had some similar experience with my second book too, like just a bunch of stuff that didn't need to be in it and so much time spent on you know, writing. It, it, when you, you know how it is. When you have a day job and you're trying to write a book on the side, it's precious that you have a couple hours here and there to work on your book. And it really chapped my ass. <laughs> I wasted so much time on stuff that I eventually ended up cutting out from those books. So it was messy.
0: Yeah, 30,000 words is a lot of words to lose. But I suppose I the book came out a lot stronger for it.
7: It did. It it was a much better book after I cut the dead weight out of it. But yeah, it hurt to do it because I was like, oh, my God, that's like five months of work or something. You know, like it was a lot. So it was hard. It was hard to realize that.
0: (laughs) Would you say then that it's more stressful to spend that time doing the outline first and putting that time in before you start or more stressful to write with no outline
7: at all? I think it's a lot more stressful to write with no outline personally, but I do. I like organization in my life you know um I I like having structure uh so that's something that feels less stressful to me to like know where I'm going with everything and know where I'm going to end up in the end for sure um takes a good deal of the stress out of writing a book but I do still occasionally uh go without an outline a little bit we'll talk about that later we'll get into it
0: you hear a lot of people though who are pantsers who don't want to outline suggest that outlining itself takes the creativity out of writing. What would you say to someone who believes that?
7: Well I I think it doesn't have to. There's a lot more creativity I think personally in the actual writing process than in the plotting and planning process. I mean I find that like word choice and sentence construction and adding in sensory details and like creating the dialogue and all that is much more creative in my opinion than just laying out a series of causes and effects which is ultimately what outlining is right it's just this happens and so as a consequence this happens and then this happens because that happened you know so that's really like Uh, logical to me and and not surprising (laughs) to lay out, you know, a a chain of events that all follow from one another. So that doesn't feel like the creative part of the process to me. To me, it's like all the unpredictable stuff in storytelling that feels creative, which is, you know, the descriptions and the dialogue, like I said, all all that other stuff that you put in when you're actually writing a chapter or a scene.
0: Exactly. In the book, Take Off Your Pants, you actually specify that you don't have to do every single bit to to the absolute final degree, right? If you want to leave some room for creativity, you can do that. There's opportunity to do that, right?
7: Yes, absolutely. And I my outlines are, I think people would be surprised by how loose they are, considering I wrote a book on outlining, but <laughs> <laughs> but they are really just the most bare bones stuff. Like I just need to know. Um, you know what critical moments happen for my main character and how it leads them toward these particular you know climactic scenes at the end of the book and that's it like that's as deep as I go I don't go into all the specifics of who's doing what where in a scene and who says what or I usually don't if I have a really great idea while I'm in the middle of outlining for like a catchy piece of dialogue or something I'll put that in but um, but most of the time it's very loose and very uh, it's just kind of hints it's 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 uh, It's just like the essence of what's going to happen without getting really deep into the meat of how it happens.
2: What's your favourite part of Cozy Mysteries then, other than the community side of things that we've covered? What do you really enjoy about writing them?
8: I like putting in red herrings and twists and surprises. Sometimes, I quite often, I surprise myself as well because I'll, I'll, plan, I'll plan a particular plot, an outline, and then when I'm partway through writing, I'm thinking... No, that's not what happens. This is what happens. Or I'll have a character, um, Billy, the old the old boy in the coffee shop in the tea room. Um, he was originally meant to be he was only meant to be in like one scene and he just started taking over and now he's a he's a favourite character who appears very often in in all of the novels. He's he's got a, a, a in some more of a main part than others, but he is always there. He's quite a useful foil to other things that are going on and his rye comments he's useful, he's a useful vehicle for comedy as well. But he just I didn't plan him. He just arrived you know and and started heckling really. <laughs> and, and it's those surprises that are part of the magic and it's when something um takes over that you weren't expecting and it must have been you know mulling away in your subconscious so you have at some point made a decision about it, but it's when those things actually come to light and you and you realise things that you hadn't planned are starting to, to happen. And that to me is the most exciting part.
2: You mentioned just then about um, outlining. So I'm curious, what's your like planning process like? How in depth are your outlines? And do you kind of treat them as very rigid or do you see them as kind of like a guide? But if something goes off in a wild tangent, you're going to go with the tangent. <laughs>
8: Yeah, exactly that. I I started with my first few books, I had um, a very, very, very outline plan. So there might be a sentence per chapter to have the basic structure of the plot. Um, I write in short chapters, my books are relatively short. Right length for their genre, about fifty 000 to sixty thousand words. Chapters are about fifteen hundred words each, and each chapter is a little episode. And so that kind of plotting, where you say "Well, this happens in this chapter, this happens in this chapter," that is a is a is a perfectly fine way to plot. As I've as I've gone forward, I've actually started plotting in a little bit more detail. So this, for example, is a page of page that I've just been writing up from from my current book. So you can see there's a couple of paragraphs for each chapter, and then before I write that chapter and sometimes a little bit in advance, I scribble on extra details. you can see, different notes have been added on there and um, where I think, oh, yes, well, that needs to go in there as well, you know, or, or that needs to change or something. And then before I sit down to write each chapter and sometimes the night before, I will write, this is my next notebook. So then here, for example, this is fleshing out the paragraph, sort of building on the couple of paragraphs there so that's about a page and a half of notes and then i sit down to write it um a chapter will be about the equivalent of six pages six or seven pages of, of that site i'll write by hand so it'll be about six or seven pages which will come out to sort of 12 14 1500 words my outlining will change as i go along so originally there were going to be 25 chapters in this book this morning i wrote chapter 29 <laughs> there are about six or seven more chapters to come so it's it's sort of embryonic it, it it evolves as I'm as I'm writing it and so I write by hand and then I type it up at the moment my daughter who's on her gap year she's typing it up for me which is wonderful and then when I get to the so this is the first draft of a typescript, script um and you can see I've got scribbles all over the place where I'm changing the language um can Um, getting rid of superfluous words, adding in some details sometimes. Sometimes I'll add in quite a lot of details. So um, for that page, having changed that much already, um, I then, that is a little bit to go into where the asterisk was marked. So, So it does change quite substantially at TypeScript stage. And then I'll probably go over it about another, through the whole thing, about another four or five times, making successively fewer edits until it's got to the point where it needs to be seen by somebody else. And then it goes off to my editor.
0: If you found this compilation interesting or helpful, make sure you subscribe to The Writer's Mindset on YouTube and or on your favourite podcast platform, or all of them if you're feeling generous. Everything from a like to a rating to a review to a subscribe to shouting about us on social media helps us to reach more writers so that they can overcome their mindset issues that are holding them back from their writing too. Have a great summer and we'll see you soon. Keep writing!